Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Transforming 45. It is episode 14. And this week, I have a guest who is not here in the studio. It's been a little while since I've done a video episode, and I am really looking forward to this conversation. So this week, we have Amanda Kirkland. She is a personal growth coach. We connected through um, a podcast networking group, actually. And as always, the universe brings together the people who are need to be connected. And you, we discovered that we are at similar places in developing and growing our coaching businesses. So this is going to be a conversation that, as always, will go all kinds of places that we don't expect, I have no doubt. Um, but welcome, Amanda. I'm really glad you're here today. I'm excited to be here too, and it's nice to uh, be chatting yeah, with someone yeah, that's really far away from me either. At some point. <laughs> okay, Amanda. So Super. tell me your story. What is it that brought you to this transformation that you're currently make happen, making happen in your life? Um, I've never been a spiritual or religious person, but. Um, I've been struggling going through changes for the better part of my life, especially the last 25, 30. Um, I struggled with a very difficult family dynamic to the point where I estranged myself from two parents and a sibling 10 years ago. Um, I've had some very difficult work situations that I pursued because I liked what I was doing and I'm making great money. But it was a battle every single day. Um, I've had some difficult friendships that when they sort of tied the test, tried the test of time, um, I seemed to be the one that was at fault or thinking I was the one that had done something wrong. Um, so that's just a little sort of synopsis of a few things. Um, about three years ago, I moved out of a neighborhood I'd been working, living and working in for about 16 years. Um, and then two months later, the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown. Um, the project I'd been working on, I was in real estate development for close to 30 years, senior level. Um, I'd been working on a project for about 18 years. It was coming to an end and I had to decide whether to go right or left in the road. And <clears throat> one was stay in the industry I did a lot of looking into that and it meant taking a substantial pay cut, uh, a substantial position demotion that I would only be working in one area, let's say marketing. And I was used to having my hands in everything and pretty much running the show and having a lot of autonomy and they knew I got the job done and I could be trusted. So at 55 years old, to me, that would have been going backwards. Um, trying to do that. So I started researching and doing some reading about, you know, I guess how to figure out what to do next. And one of the things was write a list of what you're good at doing, um, which I started to do. And I, you know, I've done a nine day demolition renovation of the home I'm in now. Um, I've organized events, done, you know, condo sales launches, model suites, decor centers, printing signage, writing, and I'm good at just getting things done and doing things 
I love doing errands. Um, you know, one of my favorite pastimes, she's asleep on the floor now, but is driving around with my <laughs> 15 year old Yorkie ticket doing errands as my sidekick. And I was like, well, why don't I do that stuff for other people? So I came up with a concept of a personal concierge business. Um, at the same time, an email popped into my inbox and it was a coach who I knew from previously from a gym, um, who was looking for people that wanted to make, you know, five to 10 K sounds good to me. So sort of interviewed was accepted. Um, and a lot of the work at the beginning, and I didn't realize that that's where we were going was like personal work. And, um, I started to learn terms like, you know, limiting beliefs, like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. It's too late. Um, I didn't know those things ran in the background and are responsible for, oh, I'm going to say 90% of the reactions we have to things. Um, and then we had to, I had to come up with my purpose and this was about a three hour call, half a box of Kleenex. Um, Amanda Kirkland never thought she had a purpose. I didn't even know what that was. And if people did have uh -huh. purposes, I wasn't one that had a purpose. That's for sure. And I finally, I almost gave up. And then I said to her, I just want to believe and be happy and other to be people to be happy. And that just like spat out of me. And it was uh -huh. like, Oh my God, that's all I want. That's all I wanted for me. I wanted people to know that they're, you know, supported, loved, heard. And as I started adding those sort of words to, you know, what my purpose was, so to speak, I was like, those are the things I don't think I ever mm, really got okay. that I'd been striving for. Well, from there, she recommended I not have a service-based business, that it be a solution-based business. It started pushing me into the whole coaching and I'm like, who am I to be a coach? I am a coach. Um, you know, I've spent a few years doing training. Um, on top of that, I've got the lived experience um, in terms of the family estrangement, the difficult and toxic work relationships, the family dysfunction, um, and I could go on. Um, I think I said at the beginning, I'm not a spiritual or mm -hmm. religious person. I do believe in the universe now. And the universe started dropping one breadcrumb after the other. And I followed them and I didn't question it. And, you know, I still say to a few people, there's no way I could have gone from real estate development for 30 years to suddenly you know, going the entrepreneurial route and becoming a coach and wanting, I want to help people avoid the struggles I did. And a lot of the stuff I went through took about 25, 30 years away from me of like, I'm going to say no one's got a simple life, but I didn't have to fight and struggle or I shouldn't have had to fight and struggle the way I did in a lot of situations and defend myself and explain. So you know, if I can share my experience and, you know, using some of the tools I have now and some of the understandings about the conscious mind, the unconscious mind, as you, 
you know, limiting beliefs as we were talking about before, um, then I'm going to be a really happy camper. And, you know, it's working so far with the, the clients I'm working with. Um, I get, uh, I get my own personal validation out of it. I don't need that from anybody else anymore. And mm-hmm. no one questions my story. It's true. Um, and I'm also, you know, proof that like my life right now, my bio says it's like 31 flavors of Baskin Robbins ice cream. Um, I think anyone listening in the States <laughs> yeah. also knows what Baskin Robbins ice cream is, but, um, yeah, it's basically mm-hmm. gone from toxic to terrific. And, you know, at the same time, all of a sudden there's a person in my life. I never thought I'd necessarily be living with someone in that guy would appear and and he did and a lot of that is a result of getting through and it's not that I had to forgive myself but understanding that it a lot of this was not me and maybe the behavior I had as a response or reaction to it was set up not by me by circumstances growing up (laughs) so now I should take a breath (laughs) well yeah I mean it's yeah, it's vulnerable when you open up and tell your story. So I really appreciate you being so open and transparent in that uh, because that's what people connect to, right? And that that's the work that we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Is helping people hear something that sounds like, oh, that's me. That's me. That's also my experience uh, because yeah. we are all, we all have experiences, emotions, especially after the last three years, like there is not a single person that I have spoken to yet who hasn't uttered the sentence. In COVID, I realized that. And I think, and that's really been coming up a lot recently as it has been the anniversary three years ago, unbelievably, of, of the beginning of that time. And I think in many ways that it is this, this amount of time, especially this year, like we've been through some time now where we haven't been going into more lockdowns and those procedures that have been happening, where people are starting to have enough space from what happened. Not that it's over. Like, I'm not saying that COVID's over by any stretch of the imagination. However, it's not the daily, it's not setting off the daily um, stress signals that it was at one point. Um, And so I think people have enough space to start really evaluating and thinking about what they learned in that time. So one of the, there are a thousand things I was thinking about while you were talking. Uh, And one of the things that you said was autonomy. And I, and I wonder like when we're starting to make, want to make, or not even want, like there's, there's this phase that happens before there's even want, right? It's like this little, I feel it almost like a little prickling at the back of my skull that says to me, something, something's amiss here. And something is trying to communicate to you that it, that you need to start being aware and listening. And I'm wondering what, what autonomy means to you. And if it means the same thing now that it did when you were younger at the beginning of your career. I don't think I knew what the word autonomy was at the beginning of my career. 
Um, one of the things I don't think my, I, I was like, okay, did I say what Lisa's going to say some, sorry, during COVID? Um, I, it, this sounds really awful, but COVID and the lockdowns were probably the luckiest thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, I never, ever have had any time to like, you know, I started working from home. So I was out, I still was employed with the last um, company I was working with, but it was winding down and, mm -hmm. you know, it had been not good for a long time um, and it was coming to an end. And so just removing myself from that place and the stresses and starting to realize, you know, when I challenged something, there was an end and I was like, you know what? I give up. I can't do this anymore. And I still did the work I needed to do, which I always do. I'm responsible that way. But I started learning more. And, you know, like I said, uh -huh. working with a coach and investing a lot of money too, um, which was well worth it. Um, but back to the, your question about autonomy, I had it in certain ways in terms of my role and position mm -hmm. and responsibilities in the workplace. I, and that was just freedom, trust, um, not necessarily liked by some people, but, um, and I think that's one of the things about whether it was choosing to, you know, estrange myself from my family, mm -hmm. it's making those decisions that are best for me. And, you know, there could be naysayers galore out there. That's fine. But what I did for myself was it was survival. I mean, that's the only way I can put it. If I had kept trying to set boundaries and adjust the way we communicated it, uh -huh. I, I was just beating my head against a, a brick wall. And, you know, in terms of the work situation, the stuff I know now, if I'd had some of those or some of that awareness, you know, I would have walked into the boardroom and maybe not challenged the, you know, guy beating his chest because he's making up for some other shortcomings uh -huh. he has that we don't realize he's trying to make up for. Um, so I'm, you know, roundabout not getting back to this sort of autonomy, but I think it's being able to make those choices and decisions for myself and it's mm -hmm. you know who i'm surrounded by i have a very limited old circle of friends um but the people i have around me now whether it's virtually or in person that i've met sort of in my new community and also have attracted um is like i'm gonna say mm -hmm. 200 times bigger than it's ever been in my entire life yeah and that's all happened in the last couple of years and, you know, on top of it, like I mentioned, uh -huh. you know, the relationship. Yeah, and that's why, I, thank you for for engaging in that conversation because it wasn't a question that we had talked about. <laughs> but I think autonomy is so important in the shifts that people are experiencing, but we don't even realize it, right? In so many, in so many ways, the decisions that we make when we're younger in retrospect, are not necessarily autonomous. 
because they are wrapped up in the expectations of culture, of what the school system tells us is the right direction, of our family, of, you know, the thousand pressures that young humans face, as well as the stories that they are told. So there's all of that wrapped around these decisions that we make that we think are autonomous and they are for ourselves. And at the same time, we're asking like young people to make decisions when their full brain isn't even online yet. So they're they're kicking way to too school, early, way too early, way too for early. example, right? Yeah, yeah. Like your brain, the world's a big bad place, and you're trying to throw yeah. them into it. Like for the prefrontal cortex of your brain, isn't which is what is the, which is what is responsible for making decisions isn't fully developed until you're in your mid twenties. It's like twenty one for females, twenty five for males. And yet we're asking 17, 16, 17, 18 year olds to make these decisions. So they are, they are not autonomous. And then it takes this lifetime of experience to get to the point where you realize I haven't necessarily been living the life that I really wanted to live. And that is when we start getting those niggling those niggling um, voices telling us it's time to stop and take stock. And I think for women in particular, at this phase of life, we finally have the opportunity to do it because we've got, you know, like a hair's breadth more to breathe than maybe we did before. And I think that is not, I think, I know that is the power of coaching. Because those voices that we have in our mind are constantly running the script of self-doubt and mistrust. And that's where coaching can be so deeply impactful because you have someone there to mirror back to you what it is that you are saying and offer a space for you to really dive into what is actually behind that mistrust, what is actually behind that self-doubt. As you were saying in your story, right, it takes, it takes a lot of time, it takes some expertise, and it does take investment in yourself. And that's the first step, believing that you are worthy of that kind of investment to spend time on. And that in, in and of itself is a massive first step. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard work and it's a commitment. And, you know, as you know, as coaches, we need, we're, we're yeah. walking side by side with our clients, but it's not a buddy, buddy. It's not a sit down, you know, I, I, I have a, a book title and in brackets, it says without hundreds of hours of therapy. Now I'm not knocking traditional armchair therapy. Yeah. I did years of it and it got me through that 20 some odd years of my life, but it didn't tell me that I had a narcissistic mother or that I was the scapegoat mm -hmm. or the black sheep of the family. Um, it gave me no tools as to, you know, why I may have developed the eating disorder and that that could have tied into family dynamics, et cetera. Um, 
you just go in and sort of mm-hmm. talk about the moment. And I mean, it's great living in the moment, but when you're trying to, whether it's heal or get better or figure out why something has happened, that's not going to help it mm-hmm. with, you know, working with a coach, um, you're going to get pushed and challenged and be held accountable. And, yeah. you know, we start with the problem. And to use coach speech, the presenting problem is not the problem. It's layers and layers back. So, you know, going back to your parents and their parents, things that are happening to you today and the beliefs you have or the limiting beliefs that you Mm -hmm. have, they can go as far back as that. And, you know, you didn't have anything to do with it. But once you become aware of those things, it's a matter of, you know, I'm going to say deprogramming and practicing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing that presents the way I describe it, the thing that presents that you feel like is your problem is the symptom. Right. So often people will present with like, Mm -hmm. I am a people pleaser. That's my problem. I'm a people pleaser, but that's not actually the problem. That's the symptom. That's the way it's showing up. And that is the, that's the work that we do together is unraveling that and pulling back. Okay. So you're showing up as a people pleaser, but why is that? Why? Yeah. And it's, it's challenging. I I remember, so I have a coach that I work with as well. Um, And I remember her saying to me at the beginning, like, there are going to be points where you're going to be angry with me. And if you're not, then we're probably not getting to the heart of the word. (laughs) Yeah. And, and she's right. I mean, I love her. She's made significant. She's really helped me um, work through a lot of things. And, uh, but there are times where I am mad. (laughs) And so that's, you know, that's kind of the conversation is that this, the role of a coach is that is to provide you opportunity and to, with both support, like support and challenge equal doses of support and challenge, uh, which is what's necessary to get to what's underneath that presenting problem. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So your work in particular is really focused around um, toxic relationships. And in your story, you talked about some of your own personal experience with being in those relationships. Um, so how do you, how do you know, what are the red flags that you are, what, like, what is a toxic relationship? Um, I'm going to, I've been sort of redefining how I position this because, you know, the listeners out there, the viewers out there, you know, does toxic resonate with you or is that like too big a word? I mean, I probably, well, I shouldn't say I probably, I didn't realize that, you know, whether it was the family dysfunction, the unhealthy, unprofessional things happening at the office, the Mm. way, you know, my best friend was treating me. Did I, would I have used the word toxic three years ago to describe Mm. those things? Probably not. Um, now knowing that I'm, you know, justified and valid that there were things wrong with all those relationships, 
um, you know, a one-sided friendship, for example, you putting more into a relationship than somebody else's, um, you know, you're in the workplace, you've completed a huge project and, you know, you're really proud of it. And you actually have to say, well, Hey, um, you know, what do you think? And it's like, well, are you happy with what you did? And I'm like, yeah. Well, what else do you expect? So, you know, no recognition or no praise. And, you know, that is something I've had to let uh -huh. go of needing the validation and recognition and no, I can't change other people's behaviors. However, uh -huh. we're humans. Like we need that feedback. We need that connection. Uh -huh. You know, you need that hug. You need that pat on the back. Um, you know, when you don't have those things, um, it, I don't know. I mean, I was constantly going out and talking to everybody mm -hmm. about, you know, my shit, this thing at work, this thing with the, the family. So, you know, in, in the family situation, um, you're constantly fighting to be heard or trying to explain why you still like wearing <laughs> your ripped jeans at 40 something years old or, you know, a short skirt and you're being frowned upon. Um, you know, you're, I know one of the things I was told when I used to try to express myself, I wasn't born with the proper coping techniques because I was upset about something and I wanted them to try see things from my point of view, not listening to your child or your employee for that matter. It is very unhealthy. And, you uh -huh. know, some of us can only take so much of that. Um, and, um, you know, uh, your siblings, a drama queen out at a public, you know, family event, and you try to sort of call it out and you're the one that looks like has ruined the evening and her behavior's just right. dismissed as that's the way she is, just accept it. So although you can't necessarily change those scenarios, you know, one of the things in, in my own life and lived experience and what I bring to my coaching is the things that have helped me now, you know, this is a before and this is the after how I would have, you know, I don't have the opportunity in certain scenarios to be able to use my tools now to do a redo. But, you know, as life goes forward, I, I still am going to get triggered by things and, you know, watch a react, not respond to mm -hmm. things, but my awareness is all there now. Um, so I don't know if that it's, it's unhealthy ones that leave you questioning yourself. Ones that leave you needing to talk things out with other people, just for someone to like, hear you and tell you that you're not mm -hmm. going like crazy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they, they, I mean, I didn't realize at the time that I was getting up every morning, especially mm. for work, ready to do battle. And I was going into a boardroom and, you know, I have extremely high expectations of myself as I do of humankind, or at least the people in my life. And I was constantly just being let uh -huh. down over and over and over again. Um, and it doesn't mean that those people were bad yeah. people. It's just, 
you know, we all see, we all see an apple on a table. Yeah. And we describe it completely differently. And that's through, you know, based on what experience uh-huh. we've had, like our filters are different. Um, well, no, sort of, I think so. There's a couple around, of things but... that are coming up for me. One of them is just the complexity and nuance of human relationships, because nothing in what I'm hearing you say is creating um, like a good person and a bad person, right? And that's what can be so. That's what can be so challenging in relationships like that, because you can see the good aspects of that person, or you can see the way that they interact in really healthy and positive ways with some people. And at the same time, if someone is acting as an energetic vampire in your world, that is, that's your reality. So what I, and what I mean by energetic vampire, it sounds very traumatic. (laughs) What I mean, it's just like the vision that I get of it in my brain is that person who feel, who is just always taking Right. It's the, 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 what they need from you is just constant taking. And then in turn, that makes you feel like you are never enough. Like you can, like you can never provide that person everything that they will need or everything that they want and need from you. And then you start feeling like you have to shift and change yourself in some way. So for me, in any relationships that I've had where I felt like I can never give this person enough and they take every ounce of my energy or, and sometimes both, or if I feel like I have to change myself in fundamental ways to be able to stay in relationship with this person, those are two big red flags, I think, in terms of really um, unhealthy dynamics in a relationship. And again, it's not saying that that's a bad, that that person is a bad person because everything is, is so nuanced. Um, but they are not the right person for me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. Total sense. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a few situations where, like I said, mm-hmm. you're putting in more than you're getting out, where that's where I kind of see mm-hmm. my version of the energy vampire. Um, and, you know, that's basically right. what ended a 34 year friendship. Not at my, it was just basically because I put my foot down and I was like, you know, you've ruined a great day and uh-huh. you can't do this to me anymore. Yeah. And I shouldn't have used the word <laughs> you, I should have used the word I, but in hindsight, it just, you know, uh-huh. things have their expiry date too. And um, it's sad, but like, uh-huh. I just feel, you know, you feel lighter. Because you are constantly uh-huh. trying to say or do the right thing or give the right piece of advice or, you know, try to still work within their schedule, even though their schedule is extremely selfish, but then they tell you that you're the one setting your yeah. time. Yeah. So, anyway. yeah. And it is that, um, like I said before, that demand of someone asking you or, or wanting you to be a different version of you. And in re- in relationships, mm-hmm. there's always negotiation right, around um, how what each person needs to be with the other. 
However, if, you, if you're asking me to change in some fundamental way that feels really wrong for me, that's where, that's where the problem lies. And if I set a boundary, and there are very few humans <laughs> on the planet at this point in time that are really practiced and skilled at setting boundaries. And they are very hard and they're scary hard and because scary. if you set that boundary, um, it might mean that that person will never cross that boundary again. Right. So that I mean, it might mean the end of a relationship when you set a boundary. And I think that's what is so scary about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that, you know, I still, it's, I know that it's, mm-hmm. I'm not in a lot of situations where I have to set boundaries now, but the situations where I have, even with the work I've done and the training I mm-hmm. have, I'm yeah. still scared to verbalize a lot of them. I, I will find ways around setting them without verbalizing it and also without drastically changing my behavior. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say for the most part, it has worked. Um, it's probably, you know, yeah. Cause I mean, I've worked with some clients and I've started to hear more about their family dynamics and I'm like, there's no way I'm telling that person to, mm-hmm. that they've got to start setting firm boundaries and saying no. Because whether, I mean, I have a few males I work with too, but, you know, in the instance of a female in a divorce or separation and, you know, he wants to keep coming over and having dinner and I've been told he's slightly volatile or can be and gets angry, like, you know, we got to figure out ways to work around someone like that. And it is still setting Uh boundaries, but in a much more careful way. And as, as women in particular, as always, I can only speak from my own experience. We're pretty deeply programmed. So when I think about a boundary and setting like a really good and healthy boundary, it's just telling the person I am in relationship with what I need. Right. And as women, we are pretty deeply programmed to never express what you need and to just shift and change to meet the needs of those around you. And so I think that is why even the concept of a boundary seems so challenging because letting ourselves even acknowledge what I personally need in a relationship is really challenging because we haven't been shown that that is an an acceptable and reasonable thing to do. You just, Uh, I just had an aha moment. Um, Yeah, big one. I mean, one of the and it's always been used in a negative way. It's like, oh, you're gritty or you're unapproachable or, um, and I'm not, I'm not, well, I shouldn't say I'm kind of a little bit gritty, but in a good way, Um, but completely authentic. And I was like having flashbacks to what you were talking about in terms of women and, and, you know, saying what our needs are. I think that is one of the problems that has plagued me and followed me around that I have been so 
this is what I need. This is who I am. And explaining, I've been doing that uh-huh. for longer than I can remember. And, you know, so I do know with parent situations, I was starting to set boundaries about, you know, how we were going to visit, what topics we could discuss and this, that, and the other. But, you know, when I start to think about the work situation and a couple of friendships, that was what you were explaining there was what I've been doing and the resistance and the pushback and the criticism I had, I've had for doing it. Um, I didn't know how to probably um, articulate it in a better way. So it was coming across, you know, so it would just, you know, it got pushed Uh back at me and it was like, there's something wrong with you. But I wasn't, I was just trying to say, this is what I need and this is what's acceptable and not acceptable. And every time I did that, um, I was basically not for lack of a better called names right or told you know there was something wrong with me or you know well we've covered for you or you wouldn't make it somewhere else because the script is if you say what you need it's selfish right it's not and that's the that's the sentence with the period at the end right you can't ask for what you need otherwise you are being selfish Yet, we know, well, I mean, we're starting to unwind all of that and realizing that if we can, could actually just be more vulnerable and honest with each other and, and approach it in a way that says, hey, so in order for me to feel safe in this situation, this is what I need. What do you need to feel safe in this situation? If we could, and and feeling safe, but like that's just one aspect of it or one element that you could have a conversation about. But if we were able to approach it in that way that actually made space for each other's humanity, which is one of the things humans don't do well. We do not make space for each other's humanity. Well, there's, there's normal. No. Yeah, sorry. I- Try not to interrupt. It happens once in a while. There's a, there's in the scenarios I'm looking at where it is a dysfunctional or a toxic, there's also an ego involved there and a bigger one than the one that I'm going to say, like I had, I mean, sure. I still have an ego because I wanted Mm -hmm. to be heard and listened to and validated, but there's another ego or, you know, a personality disorder, be it a narcissistic, you know, parent or employer or sibling. Um, And with someone like that, unfortunately, Uh you're never going to be, I shouldn't say never, but to try have that conversation and you're being vulnerable. I mean, I've tried that too. I've opened, you know, my heart wide open, trying like begging and pleading with these, Uh I'm going to say toxic people. And, uh, you know, I look like the crazy one or I look like there was something wrong with me because I was emotionally invested in it and emotionally charged. And that just gave them right. fuel to... Yeah, it makes the vampire more powerful. Use it against right. me. And there are times... I'm really glad you brought that up because there mm-hmm. are times where um, you do just have to make the decision of like, this person is not for me, right? If we look at it on a global sort of... On a global stage, 
Um, and you and I, I have no idea what your political beliefs are. So <laughs> maybe you're going to get into some rocky road. I don't know. But it's like the conversation <laughs> that the majority of the world is having with Donald Trump. Right? Like Donald Trump is the, the epitome of a narcissist who just is constantly shifting the story so that he is the victim, right? In every single story. And there's not, and even though like the whole world, well, I mean, the majority, the majority of people on the planet are saying, Hey, this is really problematic. The things that you're spawning and creating are a huge issue. Then the narcissist takes that and turns it on those people. Right. So, yeah. A hundred percent in not, not even, I wouldn't say in defense but i did um because his his yes. not him as a person never intrigued me his behavior yeah. intrigued me and how someone can get away with that um oh yeah so i read the book his niece wrote and mm-hmm. it is i mean it's fascinating no excuses for him but knowing a few other people mm-hmm. who have not to his extent that personality but you know mm-hmm. the lying the grand grandstanding um, the, the boasting, Mm -hmm. when you start to read about his childhood, like we had, I know when we originally spoke, we wanted to maybe go down a generational (laughs) trauma road. Maybe that'll be another episode. But Mm -hmm. when you look at like his father and his father's father, it's, there's a roadmap to why he does and says and behaves the way he Mm -hmm. does, which like I said, doesn't make it okay, but at least, Mm -hmm. at least there's some logic to it now, but like, someone needs to stop, like someone needed to yes. stop people in my family or, yeah. you know, work situations. Um, and there are people mm-hmm. out there. So it's like, how yeah. Do you and manage? that sometimes the breaking of the pattern is the saying, no, I'm sorry. We can no longer be in relationship. Like you at, at this stage, you are not capable of, um, I, I am not capable of helping you understand what I need. And so I am going to remove myself from this situation because mm-hmm. it's not creating healthy um, space for me to be in. It's yeah. Yeah. It's and going back yeah. to that, you know, like the complicatedness yeah. and the nuance, the messiness of humans and relationships. Again, it's not that, you know, even, even with Trump, like you said, no one comes in to, like there isn't a baby <laughs> that is born in that way, right? It is they are you are a product of everything that you have experienced. So I think it's also really helpful to stop taking off the labels of like good guys and bad guys and just realizing we are all humans who have had really hard, ex- yeah, hard and different experiences. different experiences. And now I'm going to use my autonomy to decide how I create my reality and who's going to be in that reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it, it happens gradually. Like you were saying when we were talking earlier that, um, you know, COVID or the pandemic has given people some time also to like have a few reflections and, you know, if I hadn't followed the breadcrumbs, the universe started dropping for me. Um, I didn't intentionally set out 
and sometimes we don't, but, you know, listening to podcasts, reading some books, deciding, you know, you want to move forward, um, things start like other things start happening in your life. Like I've had, you know, there's something that I've learned, you know, as, as being an entrepreneur in business, you know, it can be pretty nail biting at times. And like, what am I doing? And holy cow. And like, you know, having those limiting beliefs, am I good enough? Am I starting this too late? Like people don't like me. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, there's something called pleasure stacking, um, which I've started doing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's basically, you can go back and, mm -hmm. and I'm doing it based on where I was a year ago and where I was now. And if I think, you know, a year ago I had, let's say, you know, a couple of case studies and a couple of clients. Now, you know, I've got a, a weekly roster of clients. A year yeah. ago, I'd never guessed it on a podcast. I've now, it's only March and I've done, I think you're my eighth and I have another seven scheduled in the next month and a half. Mm -hmm. You know, a year ago, I wasn't in a relationship. Now I'm living with somebody. So like, and those things, it's not like I decided I was, you know, I know there's a lot of manifesting coaching. I haven't really gone down that road necessarily myself, but I just know that making the changes in the work I've done all of a sudden, those things mm -hmm. have been happening. So yeah, they call it pleasure stacking. So when you're having those second doubts, you can look back and I've done it probably two or three times mm -hmm. in the last oh, two yeah. months where I'm, I'm like, in full what transparency, am I I'm having one of those days today. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, yeah, but it's that it's, yeah. um, looking at the evidence, right? Because that internal voice and that internal panic motor is so, so strong and so loud that we have to be able to separate from it and say, okay, let's take a rational moment here and let's look at the evidence. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Look at the yeah. evidence. Because there's evidence. There's evidence that's showing yeah, us. I really like, like no, that. You have, you've created, you've created this and you've done this and you've done this. And it's um, one of the places where you also can know that someone is in your life for all the best reasons when you're unable to give that evidence to yourself when there's someone in your life who can say hey look at all of these things that you've done right mm -hmm. yeah or remind you to write down um yeah and i mean i've actually you know i've had my sister do that i've had you know one of my coaching colleague friends when we were on a call one day and she puts in the chat man it's my pleasure stacking i'm like what's that you should look write a list down of all the things like you know you've accomplished even in the last i think it was six weeks so i just grabbed a piece of paper and hand wrote them mm -hmm. down and i was like yeah oh, wow. yeah yeah it look is that. look what you've done so lisa that's my that's my um homework for you when you <laughs> finish our call exactly. to, uh... <laughs> Right. It's actually, um, so my, my coach, her name is Leanna Jane Lewis. Um, and she's actually, I'm, she's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks also. Um, 
that was her homework for me this week, actually. <laughs> Look at the evidence. She's okay. like, create an evidence Funny. board <laughs> that shows what you, what you have, how far you have come, the things that are happening. So that when you fall into those limiting beliefs that keep you stuck in one place, you have something real. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's funny you say that because right over there behind my printer is a vision board that I did, um, mm -hmm. three years ago and about two months ago, I, I mentioned to Sean a couple of times that I'd done this vision board and I don't know if it's like, it was the end of last year. We were having Friday night drinks in the kitchen and I was like. I never have showed you that vision board, have I? I came on stairs and I got it. And what I didn't realize yeah. is it all came true. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. the craziest thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've got, it was in three sections. It was like work. And then there was a, you know, the word love and sex and it was a guy on a beach with sunglasses <laughs> i can't remember which movie star it was um and then there was the whole like yoga thing in the middle which is like you know my my um self-care so to speak uh -huh. and i looked at him and i'm like oh my god this has all happened I'm it like, is How that because happen? it's a really it's great cool. way so when you free yourself from the as we were talking about before, as for the relationships that are not working for you and relationships can be not just with other humans, right? Like it could be the relationship mm -hmm. with your work. It could be the relationship with social media. It could be the, whatever it is that you need to be freed from when you free yourself from that. And then you set clear intentions. It allows us to focus, right? And, and it, that's what, when you're setting, when you're creating that vision board, it's the internal work of going in and really thinking about what is it that I want? What matters to me? How do I want my life to be? And then it's that visual that allows us to focus and, and make that one step toward it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had never done one before and I actually didn't know how it would actually turn out mm -hmm. and it was all driven. It wasn't a conscious piece of work I did. It was completely unconscious. So when I finished it, I was like, okay, well, there's entrepreneur, start your own business basically. And it's funny because again, if there's listeners in the mm -hmm. States, we've got a brand Costco has a brand Kirkland, which is my last name, but I had like Kirkland mm -hmm. there and it's Amanda Kirkland coaching. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's funny how those things can happen. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is all born out of starting to do, you know, work and take accountability. And, you know, my, it sounds so simple, but my mm -hmm. sort of biggest takeaway is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if I could tell my 20 year old self, something and i've never known how to answer this question because mm -hmm. it's come up on other things not directed at me but i've reading posts social media you know what would you tell your 20 year old self or 16 year old self mm -hmm. and mine is simply you can't change other people and i think I, although i don't mean i've been trying to 
change them in that, but I've been mm-hmm. trying to change their behaviors right. or their behaviors that I didn't like. And mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, those behaviors, nobody would like. Yeah. Amanda just happened to be the one that always wanted to challenge them. So, you know, you can't change other people and it takes a long time to sort of get that awareness and then practice not getting triggered and Mm -hmm. reacting the same way you have for 35 years to these toxic individuals. And that can be, you know, I'm still biting my tongue with the sales rep at the car dealer that I'm dealing with, who I leased a car from for two, from two years ago. And, you know, he's passive aggressive. He doesn't get back to me. You know, one of the things I have to let go of is not having my expectations met, but with him, it's, it's challenging and it's draining on me trying not to like Mm -hmm. blow up on him, but there's no point. And I'm going to look like, so it is that, yeah, it's really, really important um, that, yeah, you can't change other people. All you can do is decide where you're going to spend your valuable energy. And if it's not, like you said, in that, mm-hmm. that, that person you have to have an interaction with a couple of, you know, every couple of years when you need a new car, but yeah, that's not worth your energy. And all you can do is let that person be free and be on yeah. their way. And you, you get to decide, right. And that's the work is I get to decide where I spend my beautiful and valuable energy and who gets to be in that energetic space as well. Well, and I've changed dealerships, but you know what? He doesn't care. (laughs) (laughs) That's who your person doesn't. So um, anyway, yeah, that was just sort of a segue (laughs) Um, on to. And actually that's, we're pretty much, that's an hour. Yeah. It, it does every time. And that I think that that's by. a really great um, note to leave it on that you cannot change other people. You can only change how you, res- how you respond and work on getting to a place from response rather than reaction. Yeah, that's great. Um, thank you mm-hmm. so much for being here today. This was, as always, a fascinating conversation. Well, thank you for having me on as a guest. It's been Uh, fun. So thank you. For sure. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. ElectroCast.